Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's stand all over the house as the worship team joins you. We're not done with that song. We will sing it again before we leave this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this morning we're going to talk about what to do when you don't know what to do. I've been in some situations before when I didn't know what to do. And this morning, we want to leave you with a few things that will let you know what to do when you don't know what to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it says these words, For now, here are men from Ammon, Mount Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came to Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Lord, add your blessings to the reading of the word. Anoint me today to preach this word that I know you've put in my spirit today and I know it is for many people in the house if it's for them today I pray that it would come alive in their spirits today if it is for them later I pray that you would store it deep in their spirits that it will come back later to bring what they need at that time God anoint us to hear and receive what you want to say today in Jesus name amen you may be seated I just don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced a situation that stopped you in your tracks, turned your world upside down, and caused you to have more questions than you do answers? Amen. We've all been there from time to time. It could be a financial situation. It could be a situation with your children or your grandchildren. It could be a crisis in your marriage. It could be a situation you're dealing with with a relationship with somebody at school or at college or on your job. It could be an answer that you're praying for from God and you haven't heard the answer yet. Whatever it might be, if you've never experienced a I-don't-know-what-to-do moment before, you will at some point in your life. And when you face those moments, how you respond to them will determine the course of your life on the other side of those moments as you continue forward. So this morning, I want to give you four steps that I believe the Lord has dropped into my spirit from His Word over the last few days and weeks to talk to you about what to do when you don't know what to do. Number one, take a moment. Have you ever had anybody say to you or have you ever said, I just need a moment. Just give me a moment. I need a moment to step out of what's going on. i got to process. i got to think. Give me a second. I'm dealing with something here. Give me a moment. I just need to take a second. We've all said that before. When life comes against us and we don't know what to do, we just 
Sometimes we want to just put the pause button on life so that we can think about what's ahead. And sometimes taking a moment means that we don't just take a second to analyze what's going on. We have a pretty deep conversation with God. And we ask God and we say, God, what's going on? It's a lot like the story we just read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Very quickly, what we drop right into the middle of a story. But there's a king. His name is Jehoshaphat. He's a good king in all the list of kings and chronicles and kings. He's one of the good ones. And he's doing a great job leading his people to follow after God. And one day, three different armies of people are knocking on the door of Judah. And they are set to invade Judah. And so Jehoshaphat, being a godly king, gathers up all the people. He pulls them all together. The scripture says the moms, the dads, the kids. And he prays the prayer that we read about in the beginning. And he begins by praying and giving praise to God and thanking God for all he's done. But he says to him, now Lord, there are three groups of people coming against me. Anybody ever feel like you don't just have one group of people coming against you, but three? It's coming like all directions. And he says, Lord, there's three groups that are breathing down our neck in Judah. And these are three groups of people that in our past we could have annihilated them as we did others. But you said don't touch them. So, Lord, they're back. What are we going to do? And Jehoshaphat stands there and he prays this prayer. He says, he takes a moment and he says, God, will you not judge them? We are incapable. He says, we don't have the power to face three armies that are coming against us. And he says, we do not know what to do. Now, if I'm a people of Judah at the time and my king is saying, we don't know what to do, I'm nervous because leaders are supposed to lead, right? But good leaders know how to lead when they don't know what to do. And that's why he's standing with the assembly, with everybody in front of the temple, the scripture says, and pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, we don't know what to do. He took a moment. And in our modern language, we might say, God, what's up? Where are you? What's going on? Did you forget about me? What's happening with my family? It's a lot like the first line of that song they just sang. The first line says, Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Have you ever been there in a situation? You've been thinking about it, dealing with it, walking around it, praying over it, going through it, and you're thinking, God, now by now, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm doing the things I think I'm supposed to do. By now, I thought this situation would be taken care of. These walls would have fallen, but they haven't now. I'm walking around, what do I do? David found himself in a similar situation in Psalms chapter 13. Look at this. Now, I want you to notice the words that David uses. Everybody look at the screen and, and notice this. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? He says it again. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
And then he says, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What would you notice about those verses? How many times did David say, how long? Four times. How long, Lord? How long am I going to deal with this? How long am I going to keep praying and you're not going to answer? How long am I going to feel like that, that the world is closing in on me? Lord, how long? Where are you? And then he says in the next verse, essentially he says, I'm about to die, God. My life is about to be snuffed out. If you don't do something now, I'm going to sleep in death. And I'd say if you're like me, you face some situations before in life that it may not have felt like it was going to kill you physically. Maybe it did. But you knew that the enemy had his foot or his hand on your throat about to extinguish your life spiritually, emotionally, or mentally. Anybody been there? And said, Lord, how long am I going to be in this before you step in and do something? See, David has a moment. But notice something about that song. God does not respond. There's six verses. We're going to look at the five and six in a few minutes. But God never responds to David. It's like God says, okay, David, take a moment. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Consider it. Walk through it. See what it is you can think of. Now, I don't know if anybody else grew up this way, but when I grew up in the church, they used to teach us this. And I don't remember who said it, but somewhere along the way, people would say, you don't question God. Anybody ever hear that before? That's unbiblical. Because in my Bible, I don't know what yours says, but in my Bible, cover to cover, I see real folks like you and me, normal people, God chasing, God loving, Jesus following people, asking tough questions. So that thing, I'm going to throw that in the garbage because the word tells me that it's okay to ask God tough questions. Certainly we can ask Him. Now look at this in Psalms 88. Later on, here's David again. And listen, I won't read every second of it, but look at what he says. He says, I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws to an end. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm set to depart with the dead. Boy, I didn't get that right. Man, good luck reading that, but I'll, I'll tell it to you. You have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've taken me from my closest friends. On and on and on. I'm, I'm going to escape. He says, I call to you, Lord, every day. God, every day I'm calling and you're not answering. Then in Psalms 142, look at this. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. My spirit grows faint within me. And in the last verse, He says, look at that, the last line. I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. Who did I say wrote that? David? The king? The man after God's own heart? The one who wrote the Psalms and the songs? And David said, I have no refuge, no one cares for me. Here's the thing, when I read all that and I think about what, God's, what this first point is, take a moment... And then I hear somebody say, well, you're not supposed to question God. Let me tell you something. God can handle your questions. 
God can handle your questions, your doubts, pour them out. There's a whole book called Lamentations where the writer just pours out all his questions and laments before God. How do you know that, Les? Because Psalms 103 verse 14 says, For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. See, God's got a great memory, amen? He remembers day one when he looked down and he picked up some dirt and made you. You're made of nothing but dirt. You're nothing but dirt, Mike. I'm sorry. You're good dirt and God loves your dirt, but you're nothing but dirt. You are nothing but dirt. And good. here's the good news. God remembers it and he knows how weak we are. He knows what he started with. And you know what's even better than that? Oh my goodness. He sent Jesus to become the same flesh and blood and dirt. So that, Hebrews says, we have a high priest who knows and, and concerned with and knows everything that we've gone through and he feels it just like we feel it. So, at the end of verse of chapter 13, David, he's questioned, he cries out, and then he just resolves to trust God. He said, I'm about to die. How long, how long, how long, how long? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. Now notice, in, in six verses, David has gone from spiritual despair to hope. From gut-wrenching internal wrestling to complete trust. From sorrow to rejoicing. Now if a psychologist sat down with David and he sat on the couch, he would look at David and say... This guy's a schizophrenic. He doesn't know what he believes. One minute he's up, one minute he's down. He's on the top. One minute he believes God's got it all under control. The next minute he's thinking that he's going to breathe his last breath. But, oh, this is so good, y'all. Perhaps David knew how to express real feelings and faith simultaneously. Perhaps David revealed his emotions on one level, while on the other level he told exactly what he believed to be true. Maybe the Psalms are just a snapshot of his feelings. Because we know David gradually would work through the issues and he would return to his confidence in God. See, some would say, if you have true staunch, real faith, you won't wrestle and deal with anything and have any questions. That is a lie. Genuine faith forces us to wrestle with God, especially in difficult times. Genuine faith puts you on the mat, as Jacob was, wrestling with God in those difficult moments to get an answer. So the first thing I want to say this morning is when you look at that situation... And you don't know what to do, take a moment. Have a mental breakdown, go outside and scream. Whatever you need to do, have a moment. David took a moment, have a moment. Here's the second thing watch your language. I'm not talking about cussing, but that fits too, okay? Because, see, after you take a moment, and as you're going through that moment as well, be aware of the words you're saying and the thoughts that you are thinking. 
It's one thing to take a moment and ask questions and wrestle with God. Those are healthy. It's entirely another thing to find yourself in a position where the only thing you're saying is negative. And all your thoughts are negative. Okay? Now, Proverbs 18, 21, look at this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. So Proverbs tells us that how, what we think and what we say is important as we look at our situation. We don't just take a moment, but we watch our language. Now, there was a word, that's one of those 50-cent words I remember learning in high school. Probably ninth or 10th grade English. Some of you will remember it. The word was hyperbole. Anybody remember that one? You know, all the, all the kids really like to have fun with that. You don't call it hyperbole. You call it what? Hyperbole. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Hyperbole. That's hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. But you know the word I'm talking about. Hyperbole means an obvious and intentional exaggeration. Now, do we live in a culture of hyperbole? Absolutely. You think about it. You watch the news. Coming up next, this amazing story of a cat that was saved from the neighbor's yard. And you watch it and you're like, why did I waste time with that? Every sports game you watch, the announcer will say, this is the greatest sporting event in the history of mankind. I mean... You're on social media and you're looking through and there comes a video. This is the funniest video you've ever seen. Watch for 30 seconds. It's worth your time. And you're like, that cat wasn't even funny. I don't even like cats. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's everywhere we look. Even to the point now to where we have this term that gets thrown around a lot. Especially in the sports world. And that is the goat. Anybody know what the goat is? My brother over there knows who the goat is. All right, The goat is a new term in the last few years. I don't know if it's made the dictionary yet. It's probably just a few years old. But GOAT stands for greatest of all time. So they'll talk about sports heroes. Man, he's the GOAT. man. And I'm like, that kid's been in the league for two years. How can he be the GOAT? Now, okay, if we're going to talk about NFL football, okay, it really comes down to two people. It comes down to Tom Brady and Joe Montana. And you can have a... a and an intellectual conversation back and forth on who's the GOAT. Even the Patriot man might agree with that, okay? Professional basketball, I don't think there's a question, but you can have a conversation about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time? But let me tell you how crazy hyperbole gets, okay? I have a nephew who played high school basketball. His name's Landon. He played for several years. He was a good basketball player, started Started on the basketball team. And last year, I'm looking during basketball season on his Instagram. And, and him or his friend or somebody, is, maybe his dad or mom, had posted a video of him playing basketball. And one of his friends quoted, goat. See, <laughs> so y'all found that as funny as I did. And I'm like, man, I love Landon. He's my cousin. But he's a white boy from North Carolina. He ain't the goat. Now, there's another guy from North Carolina who is the goat. That's MJ. But I'm like, man, Landon is not the goat. But somebody said, man, he's the goat, you know. But that just is an example of how we use hyperbole. We exaggerate things. And, and here's the danger. 
It gets out of social media and the news and sports and entertainment. You know, the greatest movie, action movie of all time is coming this summer. It gets out of that and it gets in our minds. And then we start using words like always and never. And that's the worst. And we'll use, call things awesome. And they're really not awesome And we we get those words and then they get into our spiritual life and we'll say, God, I've never faced anything like this. God, why do you always deal with me like this? God, why does bad stuff always happen to me? God, where are you at? And those words can put us in a position where rarely they are true, but I'll use one of them correctly here. Never are those words productive to your spiritual life and your relationship with God. Because when I start using words like always and never when it comes to my relationship with God and what's going on with me, I forget the fact That God is aware of everything I'm facing and I believe He is on record with how much He loves us. It's right here. So when you start questioning the love, compassion, and faithfulness of God in your life because of what you're facing and I don't know what to do, God's on record. The book's done. He's finished it. He's signed it. He sent His Son to put it in, write it in His own blood to say, I've got you. So when you're going through those times, watch your language. Again, the song we just sang, there's a lyric that says, I know the night won't last. The author of the song says, there is a night. There is a dark season. There's a time when I don't know what to do, but it's not going to last. I know that I will get through it. See, the deeper we get into that self-talk, And watching our language, we can get stuck in this thinking mode of using hyperbole and not even realize. It's kind of like a TV show I used to watch 10 years or so ago called Lost. And Lost is about an airplane that falls and lands on a a deserted island. And these people have to survive. And in the second episode, they climb in the cockpit, they find the, the radio, and they start sending out a voice communication and they start sending out, trying to, trying to find, get, a, get, a, get a message out so they'll know that they've landed. And when they do, they can't get a message out. They start receiving a message. Because they find out that there's been a message that has been playing from the island on repeat, on a loop for 16 years. A distress message. So they actually get a little stressed out and and discouraged because they realize that we're trying to send a message out to be rescued but there is a looping message coming from the island for 16 years and I thought about that this week when I was thinking about this point of watch your language because if we're not careful what will happen we will put a looping message in our mind of hyperbole and exaggeration over our situations and it won't just play a day it'll go to a week it'll go to a month and it will become a part of who we are to where we loop that message about our situation or our life or how God loves us or doesn't love us or how we're going to get through it it loops and it's always playing in our minds if we're not careful we've got to watch the message that are in our minds remember death and life are in the power of the tongue So you have power, when you you see a situation, I don't know what to do with it, 
and you say, I don't have any power, you do have power. You have power over what you say over that situation. See, David, when he was going through intense trial, Psalms chapter 34, he opens up that psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Everybody in the house, put your eyes on that screen. Read it with me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's loop it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Stop. What's in your mouth? Not your wallet. What's in your mouth sometimes? Let's go. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's loop it again and let's emphasize the word all times. Go. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's loop her one more time and let's emphasize the words. His praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Are you getting it? Okay. Watch your language. Here's the third thing. Take a moment. Watch your language. Now, number three, reset your soul. We live with these in our hands. Smartphones. We live in front of the computer. Tablet. And sometimes that thing does what? Freezes up. Doesn't work. So what do we do? Especially if you're a PC person, sorry. You hit the reset button, right? You hit reboot, right? And it's amazing. You can have all kinds of problems with your phone, but you can reset that thing. It's like you got a brand new one. It's, it's walking and talking and doing everything you want it to do. Often when we don't know what to do, we're so frazzled and stressed by work and family and life and finances and challenges, we find ourselves in that position because we have not taken time to reset our souls. Y'all still here? I love this quote. I heard it several years ago. It's powerful. When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. When you get tired physically... And mentally, you get tired spiritually. Am I right? When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. And you know what? We need physical and mental rest. Now listen to this. We all need it. And here's what happens. Start nodding with me when you, when you agree with what I'm saying. When you need physical and mental rest, your body will let you know when it's time, won't it? Because your body says, uh-uh, buddy, you can go lay on that couch. Or if it's getting real bad, you just need to go to the bed. You need to get eight tonight. You haven't been getting eight, but you need to get eight tonight. Some of you might need to get ten. i got to have it. My body says, you've got to reset. But we're not so careful with our souls. And when we start the doubting and I don't know what to do, what happens is we're not listening to our souls that's saying, you need a soul reset. Your soul needs a place where you can start over. Now, now back in our text this morning, we said there's three groups of people who are set to annihilate the people of Judah. They take a moment. They ask God, what is he doing? 
he prays a prayer and says, you know, God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face. He says, we do not know what to do, but, what did he say? Our eyes are upon you. He was taking a moment to say, we're we not sure the answer, but we're going to reset here. In front of everybody, he said, we are going to reset. And that's what we do to reset our souls. We have to take our eyes off of everything else around us and focus our attention upon him. Because sometimes, in order to reset our souls, we got to cut off some other things in our lives. It might mean we need to fast. We might need to fast some food. Like a good old biblical fast. I need to fast fast food, just period, you know? Anybody else know what I mean? But I'm looking at that Popeye's and I'm like, come on, I want some of that chicken. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all people in Rankin, y'all like me, you drive by every day, you're like, when's that thing going to be open? Let me just give you a tip, okay? Don't go, Daniel Bunce and I learned this years ago about Rankin restaurants. Don't go in the first few weeks. Let them get everything, let them serve all the raw chicken to somebody else <laughs> let them get that baby dialed in and then go okay that's free this morning that's not even in the notes all right god bless you with that you won't get this temper or whatever you could get and and popeyes is good i don't even know what distemper is but it sounds bad don't it okay all right pull back in here Les. sometimes how many of you would say, sometimes I need a fast from social media? Sometimes I need a fast from TV or movies or the news? Some of you just need to stop watching so much news because it worries you to death. And you worry the rest of us with it. <laughs> I'm not that worried about it. I, I, I Go read the last page. It's going to be okay. It may not be perfect. It's going to be okay. Sometimes we need to take a fast from all those things. Whatever we got to do to reset our souls. But sometimes, some people when they're faced with a I don't know what to do situation, instead of resetting their souls, they self-medicate. I'm going to meddle a little bit here. Okay? Because what happens is we'll find something that we can use to kind of take the edge off. Pastor Les, it's no big deal. I just have a few glasses of wine here and there and a few beers here and there. It's no big deal, okay? Scripture's very clear about getting drunk with wine. It's also clear about putting anything before God. And if you need to take a drink to take the edge off, you're putting something before God that should be God's place. You should use your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit to take the edge off Versus having a, dropping a couple of Michelob's back just to help you relax at night or a few glasses of wine, okay? Really. If you've got to go, I got some medication, it's for this, but I'm going to take an extra one because I just really need to rest, okay? We're putting an idol before God saying, I'm gonna, I want that thing to medicate me versus God and my relationship with God to medicate me. Somebody, some of you, some people, they self-medicate with that. And they'll go out there to the pool or tangers and they'll just blow it up on the credit card. And that's how they medicate. 
because of what's going on. Some people lose their minds. You don't see them in church on a Sunday because from Friday night to Sunday night, they're in, they're in front of Netflix and they're watching a whole season of, of ten seasons of one show. That's how they escape. And instead of resetting their soul, they find something else to reset their soul instead of the one who created their soul. And whatever it might be, it turns into a binge. See, a binge, by definition, is a period or bout, usually brief, of excessive indulgence in eating, drinking, alcoholic beverages, etc. What if, to reset our soul, we went on a word binge? We fasted all this stuff that was getting between us and God, and we binged on this for a week. We, we shut down the computers and the phones and all the things that are distracting us. And if you're standing in front of a I don't know what to do situation, the absolute best prescription I can give you is to shut everything else off and binge on the Word. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher, said this. Caves make good prayer closets. Gloom and solitude are helpful in the exercise of devotion. God may have put that thing and that obstacle in your life right now. To stop you in your tracks and shut you down and turn your heart toward Him. That might be why it's there. Consider that. See, you have a choice if you're going to reset your soul or not. And after they prayed that prayer in 2 Chronicles... And the word says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Three verses later, guess who speaks? The Lord. And he says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. It might be through a scripture, a sermon, a small group, a friend, listening to worship music, getting in that cave and digging in. But God will show up and He will say, Hello, the battle is not yours. You keep looking at it and trying to figure it out and figure out how can I put my hands on it to change it. God wants to say, take your hands off and let me step in because this is mine. I do not know what to do many times with a situation. I must turn it over to Him and say, I've got to get my hands off of it. But as humans, boy, we need handcuffs spiritually many times, don't we? Like this. Because we want to get in there and we want to do God's work for Him. And God's saying, nope, get your hands off. And David in Psalms 40, listen. Here's, here's the last thing about resetting your soul. When you, when you step in and start resetting your soul, you know what you need to do? You need to be patient. Be patient while you reset. He may want you to stay there a little bit longer. But look what David says in Psalms 40. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I get a visual when I read that verse. I see David here and he's crying out to the Lord. And he's waiting for God. He's waiting for God. And, and God hasn't responded. And here's God. And finally it says, He turned to me. And as you wait patiently in that place, at some point, He will turn to you, lift you up out of that situation, and put you on a firm place. But you've got to reset your soul. You've got to put yourself in a position. So, take a moment. Watch your language. Reset your soul. And here's the last thing. Declare his faithfulness. Look at that first psalm we read this morning. Psalms 13. David, what did he say four times? We read it this morning. David four times said what? Y'all still listening? Four times, what was his question? Two words. How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? I'm about to die. But look at the end of it. Verse 5 and 6, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. What's the first word on that screen? What? So, David spilled out his guts. He says, all that, but. I've got anxiety, but. I've got fear, but. I'm discouraged, but. I will trust. I make a decision to trust. Sometimes faith has nothing to do with what you feel. You make a decision to trust. Say amen. That's good. Then he says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. You look at your situation, you say, I don't have anything to rejoice about. I don't know what to do. David says, I don't have much to rejoice about. I feel like I'm about to die. How long, how long, how long? But I will rejoice in what? My salvation. I rejoice in the fact that I know Jesus. So let me tell you something. If you don't know what to do and your situation is overwhelming you, rejoice in the fact that you know Jesus. That He has saved your soul. He has taken you from life to death, promised you eternity. You have that if you don't think you have anything else. Next when he says, I will sing the Lord's praise. I choose, he says, to lift my voice in praise. Sometimes you just have to praise and sing your way out of a problem. Anybody ever gone down the road singing the Lord's praises and it just seemed to lift out of the car as you go down the road? If you've not experienced that, you should because it feels mighty good. It's a mighty good blessing to be going down the road and struggling with something in your life and you turn on whatever your style of music that you love and the Holy Spirit begins to get in that car and man, alive, it's just like through your singing and praise of God, God begins to step in and work in your life. See, singing God's praises counteracts the negative things and the negative thoughts that are going on. Because when you sing praises to God, it is, it is counterintuitive to all the things that the enemy's trying to put in your mind. 
And then here's the last thing he says, for he has been good to me. That's when the psalmist moves from a place of looking at all the things that are in front of him. I don't know what to do. My eyes are upon you. I I have no answer for this situation. And he says, but he has been. Sometimes you need to look in the rearview mirror and you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. We sang it a while ago. I've seen you move. You move the mountains and I believe that you'll do it again. You made a way where there was no way and I believe that you'll do it again. See, when we declare, the word declare means to acknowledge, to announce, to affirm, to proclaim. We are declaring and insisting that He is faithful. Another definition of the word declare is to state emphatically. And I want to close with this this morning. Sometimes we've got to take it a step further in declaring His faithfulness. See, every Sunday morning, about 11.30, as long as it's the Lord's will and I'm your pastor and we don't have a guest speaker, you can count on me to be right here to preach to you. You can count on that I'm praying and I'm, and I'm studying and I'm going to do my best to be prepared to give you a word from the Lord. But on Tuesday afternoon... I'm probably not going to come up and preach to you on, if you need, need me, you know, at school or at work. I mean, I'd be glad to do it for 50 bucks. I'll be there, man. I'll preach it again. In the middle of the night, we were talking about this in the membership class this morning. In the middle of the night, in those dark times, you know, you, you can pull it up on live stream, but, it, but you, need, you might need somebody to preach to you. There are times you need to learn how to preach to yourself. If you want to hear a good message, go Google a message that Jensen Franklin preached called What I Say When I Preach to Myself. But don't listen to it too much because I might steal some of it sometime. <laughs> what I Say When I Preach to Myself. And here's what you have to do sometimes. Y'all listening? We're almost done. Sometimes you've got to pull up a chair and you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and you've got to say to yourself, I want to preach to myself. Self, you're going to listen to me. You're going to hear what I have to say. You're going to receive the Word of God. And sometimes you have to look at yourself and you have to say like David did, Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Sometimes you need to put your finger in your own face and your own chest and say, Why are you so downcast and down and discouraged and messed up? Put your hope in God. You know better than that. Oh, come on. Are y'all going to listen or not? Now, you will, you will do that to your child and you'll put your finger, you put your finger in that face, I'm sure, many times. And you say, boy, you will listen to me. You will do that. And sometimes you've got to take yourself by the nap of the neck and by the shirt, shirt collar and take yourself to the prayer closet and sit your rear end in front and declare the Word of God over your life. Sometimes you just got to do it. Sometimes you got to say the words of God over your life. Psalms 139, you got to say, Less 
The Lord would say to you, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Surely darkness feels like it is surrounding you and the night is covering you, but God is the strength of your life. Sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror and declare Jeremiah 29, 11 over your life. God has plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a hope and a future. Sometimes you have to declare His faithfulness. Sometimes you just need good old Isaiah 43. And we're going to close right here as you come, Kevin. And you speak over yourself and you say, God wants you to know less. Do not fear. God has redeemed you. He summoned you by name. You are His. And when you go through the waters, they will not drown you. When you pass through the rivers, you will not be drowned. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned. Before, because God is your God. He is your Savior. And He is your Lord. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Come on, worship team. Oh, yes, Lord, we declare it in this place today. I've seen you move too many times, Lord. I've seen you move. And I believe you're going to do it again, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe I'm going to see you do it again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Shouldn't need to be much begging right here. I have poured out my heart today. If you are standing in front of a situation that you do not know what to do with, come on, right now, don't even hesitate. Why are you even thinking twice? Don't walk out that door the same way you walked in. Come on. The Lord gave me this message for you for this morning. Come on. I do not know what to do. Don't know what to do about this one. I'm overwhelmed. How many of you would come for somebody else? There's somebody else that's got a situation you know of. They don't know what to do. But you'll stand in for them this morning and pray over their situation. Oh, I see you move. Come on, say it. You move the mountains. And I believe I see you do it again. You made a way. Hallelujah. And I believe I see you do it again. You made a move. You move the mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
any altar workers are here, counsel if you'll come and stand with those who are here to pray. We're going to take a moment in prayer, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to name it. Les, I've been praying about it all week. Pray about it in light of the word you just heard, okay? Lord, I take a moment. I'm going to be specific. Here it is. I don't know what to do with this situation. My family, my finances, whatever it is that's, that's over your life, my marriage, whatever it is, and hand that to Him in prayer, okay? Be specific as you pray, all right? And then we're going to declare, after you pray that, say, but God, but. What David said, but. I will trust. I will trust, okay? Whatever that is, God, I will trust in you. I take my hands off. I want to so bad, but I don't know what to do. So I turn my eyes to you. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, God, I am so grateful today that you are a God that sees every life and every home that's represented here this morning. God, you know every situation, Lord. The financial situations. The family situations. God, the difficulties, Lord, that nobody else knows but those who bring these to you today. And Lord, as they are specific in what those things are this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus that God, you would bring victory. We pray that their eyes would be clearly upon you today, Jesus. We pray that whatever it is they face with a family member or with their finances or their jobs or with their health, God, in the name of Jesus, you are healer. You are provider. We trust you. We believe in you. We declare your word over their lives today. We declare today your faithfulness. Your promise will Stand. I will trust. I will trust. As you pray, just declare it. God, I choose to trust. I don't feel like trusting. That's a part of taking a moment. But Lord, I choose to trust you today. I choose to, pro to process it through trust and believe in you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you just all over this room, even if you're not here, just lift your hands. Can we just praise Him today for His faithfulness? I want you to begin to declare in this room. May this room begin to be filled with the declarations of His faithfulness and His goodness. God, You've done it before. I declare Your goodness and Your faithfulness over my life today. In Jesus' name, declare that over your life today. Still in Your hands. still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness and still in your hands this is my confidence you sing that again over your life oh yes your promise still stands great is your faithfulness Confidence, 
you've never say it again say it again your promise still stands faithfulness, your presence, your work in our lives today. God, we just pray that this word will just find deep root in our hearts, God, and walk with us this week as we face these situations, God. I want to share one more thing to, for you to take before you walk out. I shared this a while ago. That in Psalm 40, David said, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And here's how David closes out that portion of Psalm 40. He says, Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. And when I read that yesterday, I thought, the Lord, the Lord put that in my spirit to say for right now to say, What you're going through Maybe for the many, and maybe that somebody else is going to see it as you declare God's faithfulness and put their trust in Him because of the way they've seen you walk through it. God often works that way. 
So let your testimony and your light shine bright because as you carry that, you never know who's got a front row seat for your life and is watching how you're handling situations. And God is using those things to bring Him glory because that's, that's the bottom line. Whatever it is you're going through or you'll ever go through, God uses all of those things for one purpose, y'all. One purpose to bring Him glory. And at the end of the day, it's not about me. If it brings Him glory, then I can rest and say, I will trust. Amen? Amen. May the word of the Lord rest deep in your spirit today as you walk out of here today. Thank you. God bless you for being in worship with us today. We'll see you back Wednesday night. Have a great week.